Well, good morning. How you guys doing today? Good, good. Well, today we are in our second week of this series we're going to be in for a long time called We Are, where we're doing a deep dive into what it means for us to be a community finding home, finding family, and finding purpose. And if you were here last week, you know we're spending the first few weeks of this series asking the question, what does it mean for us to be people who are finding home? If I say I find home in Christ, then what does that mean? What does that look like in my life? Last week we said that if we're finding home, that we're praying people. That we can go to the Lord and say, our Father. We talked about the Lord's Prayer as an example of knowing and embracing our limits as we go to the limitless one that is the Lord. We embrace that we are created beings who are limited. Today, we are talking about Scripture and how people who are finding home are people who are knowing the Lord in Scripture, who are seeking to obey Christ through Scripture, or seeking to under, understand him more deeply. We are people of the Word. So today, I am not going to preach. We are, don't get too excited. Uh, we are going to do a inductive Bible study practice together. And I'm just going to tell you, this is going to be weird. If you're new here, this is not what every Sunday looks like. Um, We will probably not do this again next week. Um, This might go really, really well, or it might totally flop. We're just going to roll the dice and see. Sound good? Sweet. So uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do an inductive Bible study practice together. So this is going to be interactive. So I'm going to ask questions, and I'm going to need... Answers. Sound good? Um, There are going to be times for you to turn to your neighbor, the people around you to talk. Now, those of you who are extroverts are like, yes, this is what I wanted. And those of you who are introverts are like, this is why I don't go to church. (laughs) Um, So we are an introvert friendly church. So if you don't want to respond, don't respond. If you don't want to turn to the person next to you, that's totally fine. No one's going to look at you weird because of that. If you want to turn the person next to you and just listen to what they have to say, that's totally fine. This is extrovert and introvert friendly. Sound good? All right. So here is why we are doing this. This is kind of our our baseline passage for why People who find home in Jesus are people of the word. It's going to be up on the screen. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's verses 16 and 17. And the Paul, the apostle, wrote to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what that means is, as the people of God, we can always turn to scripture and grow in understanding, and as we grow both in our understanding of Scripture and in our ability to surrender to the Holy Spirit and to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, then we will find what is profitable, what is beneficial for our souls and for our lives in Scripture. Whether you're new to the Bible and you're reading John or Matthew and just beginning to understand the life of Jesus, or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you're turning to, I don't know, Job or Leviticus or something like that. It doesn't matter how boring stereotypically the verse is. We trust that as we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and as we learn to more deeply understand Scripture— grow in our understanding of what the Bible is and how to read it, that we will find things that are useful for our souls, useful for our lives. Sound good? All right. So we are 
going to do this exercise based in Mark chapter 4. That's the passage that we're going to read to do this inductive Bible study exercise. If you've got a Bible, open up there. It's also going to be up on the screen. But before we jump into this exercise and I explain what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, let's pray. Jesus, we come to you today with a different model of what we're doing, but we come to you today asking you to speak, just like we always do. We come to you today saying, we're not here to hear from ourselves. We're not here to hear from me. We are here to be formed by your word and by your spirit. So Jesus, let us come to more deeply understand who you are today. Let anything that's from me or that's just from us be noticed and rejected. But as we come to understand what is faithful to your scripture and in concert with your character, that we would be formed into your likeness. Amen. So, there are four basic elements to any story. Any story that you read, at least any story that's worth telling or that's interesting to read or listen to, has four basic elements to it. So this exercise that we're going to engage in is called biblical or scriptural imagination. And just to, you know, get ahead of the questions, no, we're not saying, can I imagine a new interpretation of this scripture? What we're saying is we are created in the image of God as creative beings who were given this thing called imagination that we can use to help plant ourselves into a story and see more accurately what's going on in the story. So we're going to do this exercise called scriptural imagination. And for us to do it, we've got to understand what the basics of a story is. So every human story, every story worth telling has four basic elements. It's got setting, where did it happen, It's got characters. Who did it happen to? It's got conflict. Because if there's not an enemy that needs to be fought or a question that needs to be answered or, I don't know, like a ruggedly charming man who's starting a coffee shop in his hometown to marry the city girl because this is a Hallmark movie. I thought that was going to be more obvious than it was. But uh, uh, if there's not some sort of conflict then we're not interested in the story. All stories we tell have some sort of conflict or some sort of question, and all stories that we tell have some sort of resolution. They go somewhere. All basic human stories end somewhere. Sometimes even the resolution is a continuing of the problem because we learn that the resolution is that there isn't a clean answer, but the story still resolves in some way. That makes sense? Sound good? So we're going to read Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41, and then we are going to identify first what the characteristics of this story is. Sound good? So I'm going to ask you after we read it, what is the setting, who are the characters, what is the conflict, and what is the resolution? Sound good? This is going to be really interactive. I'm going to keep saying sound good and expecting an answer. All right. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. 
Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So, this is where it gets interactive. What is the setting of this story? Where is it happening? Yeah. It's happening in the middle of the lake, right? Yes, it's happening in the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee, think somewhere in between like Lake Kiwi and Lake Michigan. This is a giant lake that is big enough for storms to happen on. It is a large, large lake. So that's where it's happening. What else is part of the setting? Anybody else? Boat. It's happening in a boat. Perfect. What else? It's at night. Interesting observation. It's happening at night. What else is going on in the story? Jesus is sleeping. Okay, that's part of the setting. Yeah. Now, when is this happening? In a storm at night? One more time. When is this happening? In biblical times. The setting is a long time ago. The setting is like before GPS, before the weather app could tell you there was a storm coming. The setting is like when you would smell the wind change and think there might be a storm. The setting is when your boats were made of wood and and didn't have modern technology to keep you safe, right? The setting was when people's lives were dependent on weather and water, right? Because there were people who were fishing. There were people who were farming on the shore. The setting is a long time ago where you didn't have the comforts. This wasn't a pleasure trip. They weren't on a pontoon boat, right? It's a different setting. So we got the setting. Now, the second element of story is character, but that's what we're going to use for this scriptural imagination. So we're going to skip that one, and we're going to come back to it. Now, what is the conflict in this story? Jesus is sleeping. Doesn't that sound like conflict, right? What else? Man versus nature. Exactly. There's a storm going on. And Jesus is asleep. Anything else that we would call conflict or tension in the story? The disciples are afraid. Yeah. 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 They might get swamped, which is a cool way to describe getting sunk in the ocean or in a lake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Too many people in a little boat. That might very well be it. And one of them taking up a whole bunch of place because he's asleep. (laughs) Right. Now, just so you know, we haven't done the exercise yet. We haven't even started the exercise yet. But did you see how much more deeply we've gotten into the story already? Because we've, rather than going to the Bible and just trying to get some simple practical application, though application is important, we went first and said, what's actually going on in the story? See how easy it is for us to overlook? You see how long it took us, which this is super normal, to get to this happened a long time ago? Because so easily, we so easily skip what's actually going on in the story 
and then we miss the beauty and complexity and what's interesting in the story. All right, third characteristic, or third part of a story, resolution. What's the resolution in the story? Jesus calms the storm. Yeah, which is an interesting resolution because I think I'm giving something away here. But at the end, right after Jesus calms the storm in verse 31, it says they were terrified. They just got out of a storm, and they're still terrified. All right, now, the last thing we need to identify for us to engage in this properly, in this exercise, is the characters. So when we're identifying characters in the story... At this point, we want to identify every character, main characters, side characters, any character who could theoretically be involved in this story, we want to identify now. So, who are the characters in the story? The disciples. I heard Jesus. Thank you. (laughs) Jesus is in the story. All right, who else? We got Jesus. And actually, Stephen is going to be adding these because we need to be able to see these. So he's going to be putting these up on the screen for us so we can see them. So we got the disciples and we've got Jesus. Who else? Fisherman and a tax collector. All right, we're getting more detail about the disciples. Yeah. Other boats. Now, this is interesting. As I was processing this exercise and inductive Bible study of this passage, one of my ministry mentors was saying he's been leading inductive Bible study over this passage for something like 20 years, and no one has ever noticed that there were other boats. Alan, you were the first one. Yeah. See how, he, how, many, how many of you, now some of us didn't grow up in church, and that's totally fine, but a lot of us here did grow up in church. How many of you have heard the story of Jesus calming the storm before? Yeah. How many of you knew there were other boats? One. Two. Right? But it's, it's in there. And what's interesting about the Bible is that when they were writing the Bible with like on papyrus with a quill pen, every detail they added was important because they didn't have the ability to add anything superfluous. They couldn't type it up. There was no deleting if they were going to expend the energy to put a detail in the story, then it was an important detail, right? But this is, I, I've heard this story my whole life. I noticed for the first time, because someone else pointed it out about two weeks ago, that there were other boats in the story. So we've got the disciples who were fishermen and tax collectors. We've got Jesus. We've got other boats. Who else is in the story? The crowd they left behind. The crowd on the shore. All right. Who else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got the crowd. We've got other people on the water. We've got Judas in the boat, assuming. We've got Peter who would walk on the water later in the boat. We've got John, the disciple who seemed to deeply trust in the presence of the Lord in every situation on the boat. So here's what we're going to do now. For us to engage in this exercise... You are going to pick a character, and then we are going to imagine what it would be like to experience the story from the perspective of that character. Does that sound good? So in just a minute, I'm going to give you about two minutes to pick a character, 
and then to use your imagination to figure out what it would have been like to be in that character's shoes. And then I am going to describe the setting. We're going to lower the lights. We're going to all use our imagination to the best of our ability to get our minds into the space, the mental space of the story. Then I'm going to read the story, and we're going to imagine what it would be like to perceive the story from that point of view. Sound good? All right, so I want you to take two minutes. I want you to pick a character, and then I want you to think of everything you can about that character. This is what I mean. What would they be seeing? Where would they be sitting? What would they be smelling? Would they have been standing up in the boat? Would they have been sitting in the boat? Would they have seen a storm happening 100 yards away or half a mile away? Would they have wondered what was going on in that boat over there? Would they have been laying down in the bottom of a boat? What would it have looked like to lay down in the bottom of a boat instead of stand up and get hit by the waves? Do you see what I mean? I want you to do your best to imagine exactly what it would be like to be in that person's shoes and see from their eyes to the very best of your ability. All right? Two minutes. Pick a character and then imagine what it would be like to be character. All right. Now, can we bring the lights down just a little bit more? And we've got some sound effects to make this real. Now, I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to give us the setting. The sun is just beginning to set. What was a calm afternoon is just starting to turn. You can feel the breeze that comes when a storm blows in and the temperature drops. And the air is humid because you're by the water. You're tired because you have been with a crowd all day. You're exhausted. Jesus is so exhausted, as soon as he gets into the boat, he goes to sleep. Because they've been surrounded by people and surrounded by people. Until finally, they get into the boats. As you drift out into the lake, the waves start to rise. And the boat starts to rock. The thing you're standing or sitting or lying on is moving. 
and it moves more and it moves more. Thunder in the distance. The wind picks up. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You can open your eyes. Can we bring the lights back up? All right. How many of you picked the disciples as your character? All right. How many of you picked another boat? All right. How many of you were the crowd on the shore watching? How many of you were Jesus? Bold. (laughs) No, it's okay. It's great. It's great. Now, here's what I want you to do. In just a minute, you're going to have the opportunity, if you would like, to share with the whole group what are some of the things that you noticed that were unique to your perspective some of the things that stood out to you, imagining the story from that place. But the first thing I want you to do now is, if you're comfortable, find someone sitting somewhat near you and just say what your perspective was, what your character was, and then take five minutes and just share what it was like or what you noticed that was different from that perspective. Sound good? Five minutes total, not five minutes for each person. (laughs) Sound good? All right, if you're not, if you don't want to do that, if that sounds like the worst thing to do on a Sunday morning, totally fine, then just think about it for five minutes, cool? Or you can go to the bathroom or go get some water or something now, refill your coffee, that's fine too. All right, five minutes, find a neighbor and discuss what was your character and what uniquely did you notice from the perspective of that character?
about 30 more seconds. Let's wrap up our conversations and make our way back to our seats if you've moved. All right. What was it like from your perspective, from the perspective you chose? Horrible. <laughs> nice, nice. What else? Lots of anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's important because it's easy for us when, when we read the Bible we read with clear black and white good and bad characters, right? Obviously, Jesus is good. That's a given. But when we read the Pharisees especially, they are always, we always imagine that they are just unequivocally bad. And we imagine that they don't have any good motives, that they're just the villain of the story. Like this is a James Bond movie and they are the bad guy, right? Um, and then the disciples, it's really easy for us to read the disciples as like naive, and say like, oh, well, why were they afraid? But if you were there, you'd be afraid, right? I'd be afraid if I was there. This is a story full of anxiety. They weren't afraid, they weren't afraid for any unfounded reason. They had good reason to be terrified by a storm that could have tossed them into the water around them and killed them, right? Like, they had every right to be afraid. And this is pretty early in the life of Jesus, right? We see at the end of the story, it sa- they say, even the wind and waves obey him, as if before they didn't know that the wind and waves would. So why would they have imagined that Jesus would have calmed the storm before? Yeah? It's almost like fear is a normal human experience. And sometimes in life there are storms, and not to just be cliche, but... It's actually normal to be afraid of him. And the reason why we're instructed to cast our cares on him and we're instructed to not worry is because we do worry. So we have to choose what to do with fear rather than just avoiding it altogether. We're not going to find a way to avoid it altogether. We've got to choose what to do with it when it arises, right? What else? Sad? You were in the other boat. <laughs> I wonder what's going on over there. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very interesting. You know, there are a lot of characters when we read the life of Jesus. There are characters that, that we are led to believe should have expected Jesus that don't believe in him. And then there are characters that we're led to believe shouldn't have expected Jesus and just heard about the miracles and saw him from a distance, but their faith moved to the heart of Jesus. Like there's something about those people who see something from a distance and choose to respond in faith. You know, you've got the Roman centurion um, or whose daughter was healed, right? And the one whose servant was healed. You've got the woman at the well, the Syrophoenician woman, all of these people who were outside of the story, not part of the prophecy, but who heard about the miracles, maybe saw them from a distance and wondered, I don't know what's going on over there, but whatever it is, I need it. Yeah. Yeah. What else? boats were were drifting and apart wow wow what an interesting observation yeah the, the people in the other boats might very well have gone into the water to follow jesus and the boat got it the storm got in the way wow what an interesting idea that when Jesus calms the storm, he makes the way again. Um, that life and many things get in our way. And, and once again, many normal life things get in the way of our followership to Jesus, of our faithfulness, of our ability. And those things are often normal life things that get in the way. And Jesus intervenes and makes a way. Interesting, Jesus doesn't make us follow but he makes a way for us to follow. That's a big difference, isn't it? He always makes a way for us to follow. What else? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, what's one of the most common things said about people's interaction with God? Fear. In fact, we are, are, are asked at times, don't you fear God? Or the fear of the Lord is the path to wisdom, right? Fear can mean... Like, I am horrified and I should run away, but fear can also mean I am in the presence of something beyond me. (laughs) And if it doesn't choose gentleness, then I'm in trouble, (laughs) right? There is an acknowledgement when you see the God who controls the wind and the waves that that is something to fear. But when that God goes to the cross, that tells you something about that God who has that power. Like uh, C.S. Lewis, when he described Aslan, he said he's not a tame lion, 
but he is good. (laughs) Something to fear, but something that when you know you can trust in spite of the fear. What about those of you who chose Jesus? What'd you notice? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Teaching us about where peace and power truly lie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. You know, we could spend hours talking about this, and I'm going to resist the urge to just, like, nerd out for the next while, but one of the things that's worth noting is that in the ancient world, water was often equated with evil in many of the mythologies, in much of the stories. Because if you can imagine, remember, no cell phones, no boats, no, like, Caribbean cruise liner to get on that no storm can rock, none of that, right? You've, you've got little wooden boats. So when a storm, if you're a person who's never seen the other side of the ocean and never been on a plane and all you see is endless water and a storm that sends waves bigger than your house and you see whales and you don't know what they are, right? It's easy to imagine calling them monsters, it's easy to imagine, like, why they would imagine that the ocean was evil and represented this power because it was something that they couldn't control and had no power over. So oftentimes in the ancient creation myths of other belief systems, their gods defeat the water. There's an enemy that's represented in the water, and their god slays the dragon of the water or the beast of the seas. But Jesus doesn't slay anything. He calms it. Right? That Jesus is asleep in the midst of this representation of evil because he's not threatened. And then even the wind and waves that represents chaos and often evil obey him because he has power over. One more question. And I just want you to think about this one. No matter... No matter what perspective you took, what character you took, what tone of voice, just think about this one, what tone of voice did Jesus have when he said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you think Jesus said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Or do you think Jesus, 
after just calming the storm, said, why are you still afraid? You still have no faith? Do you think it was in his gentleness that he responded to the people, to the disciples? Or do you think he rebuked them for being horrified of a storm that could drown them? <laughs> you think maybe his posture was, you can now have more faith. Yeah? One of the most important things for you in reading scripture, in using your imagination, is the tone of voice in your head for the characters. Because some of us, every time we open the Bible, God is speaking sternly to us. Maybe because that's how we were spoken to as kids. And we always imagine that Jesus is rebuking us and he's fixing something. He's disappointed. And you need to learn to imagine a good father, a savior friend, a brother who speaks to you with tenderness. Sometimes Jesus does rebuke. And the more you get to know him, the more you'll see the difference in those things. Right? But the way you imagine his voice is very, very important. So today, as we prepare to close in worship, I hope we can all see that the word of God is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, performing us, for forming the servant of the Lord into obedience, that we can go to the word. And listen, our imagination doesn't control the word. Let me be very careful to say that. I do not have control over what the Bible says to me. (laughs) But I can use my imagination to see the Bible for what it is and be more deeply formed by the word because I'm letting this story be true and imagining what it would be like to be there. I'm letting the facts of the story inform my interaction with the story. And then maybe a phrase like God will get you through the storm doesn't seem like a cliche you'd see on a Hobby Lobby picture. Maybe it seems like something that you've imagined. And maybe you've been able to imagine the storm in your life compared to the storm that the disciples were in and you feel a little bit more justified in the fear. You don't feel ashamed of it. And then you hear Jesus saying, why are you afraid? And then you can look at Christ in your life and you can say, I was afraid of the storm, but even the winds and waves obey him. And maybe from a deep dive, an authentic interaction with the story, we can find truth that lives our lives with us. We can find the truth of Christ that lives in our house and works our job. (laughs) Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to separate bone from marrow and soul from spirit. We thank you that your word is living and active, meaning that a story we've heard a thousand times can come alive in your truth by your spirit and speak to us uniquely where we are. Jesus, I ask that you would continue to make us people of your word. People who do not fear your word, Or do not resist your word. People who resist the temptation to call your word confusing and difficult and pull away from it because of that. But people who respond to the invitation to seek you in your word. To obey you through your word. That we would be formed by your revelation to us in scripture. 
Thank you, Jesus, that even the wind and waves obey you. We love you. Amen.